Welcome back. We've got more softball media days here on the Out of the Box podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Gray Robertson, my partner, Tom Canterbury. As always, alongside me, at least not when we're interviewing some of these coaches, always alongside me. Right. Tom, how are you? Good. Good. Excited. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed episode one and uh, excited here to bring episode two to you. Yes. If you did enjoy it, I'm leading off the episode with this, Tom, because there you go. gave me the perfect segue. That's what I do. Follow, like, subscribe. Leave a review. Let us know what you liked about Larissa Anderson and her comments about the RPI. Please <laughs> let us know because we thoroughly enjoyed them. Yes, that that is coming up, and you will like. I think you'll like it. Yes, yeah, that is coming up, Tom. Because as all of you know now, there was a question that we asked all the coaches, which is uh, your analytics question, mm-hmm. and also my question about if you're a college softball czar, what's something you would change. Surprisingly, few of them did say something about the RPI. Loris Anderson did. I appreciated it, and all of you will hear that very soon. Yeah, I think some of the coaches that maybe have uh, been more benefited from the RPI maybe don't want it changed, which I understand. (laughs) Fair. Uh, But some of these coaches that have felt the uh, bad side of the RPI certainly uh, brought that out as well. Yeah. uh, Larissa, one of those. Yeah, we're going to open with Larissa Anderson as we talk Missouri, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Then we've got Samantha Ricketts and then Mickey Dean for the Tigers. Missouri, you're going to hear from Coach Anderson in a minute. This sounds like a dangerous team. This sounds like a confident coach excited about what her school can be in 2021. We saw them in 2020, and we, I think both of us were kind of leery of them to begin with there, too, because they had the, the probation, so we knew you know, everything they were playing for was during the regular season. Right. So we thought that they had the talent. They may not have the talent to be able to beat anybody on, on every day, but they could beat them on any one day. They were going to make some some noise in the conference, and they were going to have a they were going to have a say in who won the the conference, even if they weren't allowed to do it themselves. Now that that has been, uh, I thought the NCAA made the right decision to count that year as their probation year, and, yep. and they're, they're eligible now uh, to go forward in twenty twenty one. Yeah, Missouri is definitely one of those uh, dark horse type team that you're going to look for uh, coming out of this conference. And it's interesting you look at the two episodes we've done. The first episode kind of had more of the perennial powers with florida and tennessee being in it now this one with missouri mississippi state and auburn maybe three of the teams you're not think of necessarily as a team that can, can win the conference but uh, as you hear i think there's a lot of confidence with these coaches and what they're going to be able to do yeah i think missouri and we'll preface this a little bit more uh, in the interview i think they need an ace we'll see if they can find that coach anderson i think it's looking for that mm-hmm. mississippi state I think has more pitching depth than I imagined. We know about Mia and Fa. Mm-hmm. Fa la la out here swinging the heck out uh, of it every time. Extra year. Yes. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, Tom, I remember uh. you You sent me a text and said, wait, I thought she's gone. <laughs> nope. Fa la nope. back mm. again. Mm-hmm. Always around here in Starkville. Uh, so, yeah, Mississippi State, another team I think that can be really dangerous because Absolutely. we know what Emily Williams can be at her best. She kind of toned down the wildness in 2020, and then also Annie Willis, a Troy transfer, comes in, and her ERA was insane, and she was yeah. shutting down everybody. And I think that's something you're going to see a lot in a lot of softball this year is going to be people that have transferred in and totally changing dynamics within uh, position groups and within teams. People that you weren't necessarily expecting, maybe they were just in a position where you know they were behind somebody at another another school, or they weren't as a high profile school, are going to be able to come into somewhere like a Mississippi State and, and really change things. 
I agree. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. And then Auburn. This was a team that we both said publicly on this podcast, not very good in mm. 2020. No. And they faced a juggernaut of a schedule. Yeah, they decided to play a very, very tough schedule with a not very good team. But they've got a really good recruiting class, two top 10 players according to Softball America. They bring in Kaylee Horton from Ole Miss, really good outfielder, good solid bat in the lineup. I'm interested to see what their pitching looks like. Samantha Yarbrough really showed me something against Florida right before the season stopped, and I would have loved to have seen what she could have been with another SEC series under her belt. I'm not necessarily sure I'm ready to ride Auburn into the bottom three of the conference. I think this is a team that if they find the right mixture, they could really ruin some seasons in 2021. Yeah, Auburn ruining things. (laughs) Not out of the the ordinary. Oh, Tom. (laughs) They're so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone likes it. Yes. I mean, hey, it's you know, it's Auburn. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what they look like, as I am about everyone in this conference. But Me too. Let's get to Missouri, shall we? All right. Our new friend Larissa Anderson, follower of at out of the box underscore pod, as all of you should be. Our seatmate at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. Has no recollection of that happening. No, not at all. Which is okay. And also, the first person, I'm going to reveal this, the first coach that we talked to for this project. Yeah. It's her time. Let's talk Missouri, Tom. Let's go. Here is our conversation with the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Larissa Anderson. Take a listen. Joining us now, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, entering her third season in Columbia after a pretty good 19-7 and and 3-0 start in 2020 before the season was cut short. It is Larissa Anderson, the newly re-elected, I should point out, NFCA VP of Awards. So we'll be looking for maybe some Alabama love, perhaps, as we get into the, uh, as we get into the honors after the 2021 season. Coach, welcome in. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Not too bad. Just finishing up our fall season here this week, um, but things have been great. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that as we go forward, but I want to bring up, of course, the big off-season news. You know, the thing that Tom and I love about you is you're very vocal. You're very straight to the point uh, in the press, and you were certainly that way when it came to the NCAA postseason ban that still kind of hung over your program in 2020. That's gone now thanks to the NCAA's ruling for this upcoming season. So how relieved are you to have that past you? How did the team react when that news came out a couple weeks ago? I feel like the dark cloud is finally lifted over our heads. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a sigh of relief just because you've had that, that monkey on your back for almost for two years. Because my first year here, we didn't know what the ruling was going to be. And so then we appealed it. So we had to wait another year. And then, you know, obviously the sanctions come down and then you have a different purpose and what you're really playing for. So with the NCAA I believe making the right decision and doing the right things for all the student athletes. Um, you know, now we can kind of get back to work and refocus on, on why they're playing the game. Um, but I mean, it was just, I was ecstatic when I first got that phone call from my athletic director, Jim Stirk. And, uh, I went to the field to be, to tell the game and I had an emergency zoom call with them. So obviously they think they're all in trouble, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to go to the field and I wanted to, show them the the banners that are up on the outfield wall with all the years that they've gone to the NCAAs and Super Regionals and the College World Series and that was the immediate picture that I showed them on here we're going to have a shot we have we have a shot in in 2021 to be able to put our number back up on the ball on the wall so it's kind of that fire relief and 
that that feeling on okay now we can we our goals can then be realistic and coach i nobody knew obviously how the 2020 season was going to end with with everything everything getting cut short but uh what did you learn from your team as they played the 2020 season uh with that band you know, I'll start from the Tuesday before Thanksgiving when the sanctions did come down. And um, I was told that we were going to be banned from postseason. So, again, I had an emergency Zoom call because everyone was home over Thanksgiving break and had to tell the team that we're going to be banned from postseason. Um, and it was tough. It was tough for me as a coach. I know it was tough for the players to evaluate on what their why is. And that was really what we focused on. But I, me, an individual, I've coached every single season, every single year, every single team to win a championship. So now when that's taken away, I kind of had to change my mindset on what is my purpose going to be and, and the message I'm going to get across to the team. And it was relaying on every single game is going to be our championship. We're going to put ourselves in a situation where we want to be in the top 25. We want to be in the upper half of the SEC. We want to be one of the teams that everybody's talking about that it is almost going to send a message saying they belong in the, in the top 64 in the country and going to the NCAA tournament. So the NCAA tournament was not going to be the best 64 teams this year because you left mm. Mizzou out, but let's put us in a situation where they're at least talking about us, that we do belong, that we do belong in the top, in the top eight or the top 16 and have a right to host. And we went out every single game as though it was our championship. And what I'm so proud of that they learned is that they left everything that they had on the field every single game they played. And it shows with how many games we came from behind. Because, again, we had absolutely nothing to lose. No one was expecting us to be there in the end. We had the mentality of going out winning every single game. So when the news hit that the rest of the season is then canceled, we had absolutely no regrets because we gave it all we had every single moment we were out there. So our team never felt the complete devastation and the regret that everybody else around the country felt because they knew that they had unfinished business. We already took care of our business every single game we played. So when the season ended, we already knew it was going to end shorter than we wanted it to. So it was just a matter of it just happened to be March 13th and not the end of May. And coach, we could definitely see that mindset with your team. We saw you uh, in person in Clearwater and, and some, some other times throughout the year. And uh, with the, the schedule as it was in 2020, us being Alabama guys, we saw Missouri in the last series of the season, and uh, we weren't looking real forward to it. So, <laughs> so. I was looking forward to that. I, I'm I sure, like, yeah. It's going to be a great series. But I think I kind of uh, I go back to a comment that Kayla Bro made, and we recorded a show in Clearwater, and she did a post game interview with I think Kayla Kessinger after you run ruled Kansas, and she said that there was just this love of the game vibe that was coming from your team after. 2020 because they really were playing for the love of the game and all those other things that you just said how do you keep that mindset going into 2021 knowing there are goals that they can reach with the band gone you know and you just gave me goosebumps listening to hear you say that because that that's awesome and and that's every coach's dream is to be able to hear that the same message is coming out in your players they, they found out their why. So when, when your why is taken away from you or what you think your why is, and that's to go to the College World Series and go to postseason, which is everyone's dream, when that's gone, you really start to sit back and, and realize why do you play this game and why do you play for Mizzou and why do you want to be here? Every single kid on the team had an option to leave. That was part of the, the NCAA sanctions that 
I could not withhold anybody, and everyone had the freedom to be able to transfer immediately. And I could have lost my whole team. Everybody could have gone or cherry-picked and gone to another program, but they all stayed because their loyalty and their dedication to Mizzou and the program, and they wanted to prove to everybody that they're here for their teammates. And Hattie Moore probably said it best in her, her exit meeting at the end of the fall semester when they're going to go home for Christmas break. And again, I'm expecting a handful of those, of those players, the starters, to say, Coach, I want to opt out. I want to play two more years of postseason ball. I want to go to another institution that can provide me with that opportunity. So I'm expecting all these things. And Hattie Moore comes in and says, there's no way in the world I'm going to sit in the dugout and on the sidelines and watch my team compete when I've been working with them every day since day one. And that in itself is, makes me so proud to be their coach because now they're getting the message of why they truly play this game. So when you, when you realize a lot of those things, you don't feel the pressure of, well, we have to do this. It's We get to do this. We get to do this every single day and go out and play the game we love with the people that are working just as hard as us for, for a greater purpose. Coach, we've already got chills hearing you say that, and we're just a couple of minutes into the conversation uh, with Larissa Anderson, head coach of Missouri for SEC Softball Media Days. Coach, we talked a little bit about 2020 being shortened. Very strange times for head coaches across all sports. You've got to find a way to keep the team unity while everyone is sitting in their apartments or dorms or houses uh, alone with their families. How did you go about that as we were all quarantined, uh, as this pandemic really got going? You know, it was, it was just maintaining that level of communication, but also at the same time realize that they're going to go through the stages of grief because that's what it is. We, we lost something. We lost something that really means a lot to us. And so I didn't want to bombard them. I didn't want to overwhelm them. I wanted to be frustrated with them and have some sadness and kind of just be there. We're going to talk through it. And then it's almost like I took the – the quarantine time and, and the five months that we had off. And I took them in phases where, you know, let's still be there and, and talk about some of our frustrations. And then all of a sudden it's, we're going to turn the page and now we're going to start to get into some personal growth. And we started to read a book together called the mental edge. And it's, it's correlating your physical performance with the mental side to become more mentally tough and stronger so we read the book together as a team. We would read chapters at a time, and we would get, have these breakout sessions where we would kind of discuss some of our um, virtual goals and action plans and desire statements, and so that way they're able to hear from one another. And then we kind of went into, okay, now we're going to stop focusing on 2020, and now we got to focus on 21. Um, and that was really getting into the growth mindset on really moving forward and stop looking to the past. And now it's what are we going to do with the future? Um, I don't think that page turned until football played their first game because there was still so much uncertainty, even when they were back here in August, on what are we going to be allowed to do? What can we do? Um, you know, are we going to have fall games? Or is football even going to play? Because we know that is going to be the driving force. And then as soon as football played their first game, you felt like a sigh of relief of, okay, this is actually going to be a reality that we potentially could have a season. We're not going through all the motions just to have it taken away from us again. And as we turn toward 2021, you mentioned that you're just wrapping up uh, fall practice. Um, What did you uh, learn from your team as you were able to kind of start looking towards uh, what we hope will be as much of a full season as possible in 2021? 
You know, the big thing is, is well, they, they're just so excited to be around each other. I think the most enjoyment I've seen is because, again, they're taking virtual classes or uh, hybrid classes. But when I have small groups out there taking BP on the field, the kids are just coming to the ballpark just to be around one another. And that is so much fun to sit back and watch them just shag balls and enjoy each other in the dugout just for the pure enjoyment of playing the game together again that they love. Um, you know, it's almost like they're, they're school-age kids again. And, I, you know, they're in college. But you take me back to when you just go down the playground and play for fun, and there's probably high school kids out there listening to this right now that have no idea what I'm talking about because they've only gone on play dates. <laughs> um, but that, you know, they're just they're fooling around in the backyard or going down to the schoolyard and just playing for the pure fun of the game. And that's what I'm seeing these girls do that kids are taking BP on the field and they're being competitive and there's just kids out there shagging and pulling balls back from home runs and just loving the pure enjoyment of the game. And I never, ever want them to lose that moment and that feeling. Coach, let's talk pitching because that's really your expertise. You're one of the best pitching coaches in the entire country. And last year, you kind of went with a pitch-by-committee approach. You lose Eli Daniel, uh, who graduated and decided not to take the extra year. So as you look into 2021, you've got a a very deep bench in the bullpen. You might have some newcomers that we don't know about. Uh, Are you still looking for maybe somebody to separate themselves as the ace? Or are you right now kind of thinking a pitch-by-committee will be the way to go in 2021? I mean, everyone would love a secretariat, a horse that you can ride all year, right? (laughs) Um, You know, so I'm always looking for somebody to break away. But because we're so versatile and we have five pitchers, we're five pitchers deep within our program, and they're all completely different, I will always have a pitch-by-committee mindset because I, you know, my baseball, my husband who coaches professional baseball, um, watching tons of games, understanding the managerial aspect of being able to make pitching changes, that's always there. Um, and I'm just fortunate enough that I have the pitching staff to be able to do so. I think I would rather have it pitching by committee than that one horse that I don't have someone to go to in the bullpen. Um, so the way we're, we're built up right now is, you know, it's kind of a wait and see. We're scrimmaging. We're doing a lot of live stuff. I'm leaving them in as long as I possibly can to see how they're able to overcome adversity. But, I mean, when the game's on the line, I'm always going to manage to give us the best opportunity to win. And if that's making pitching changes multiple throughout the game, I'm going to do so. If we can't beat a pitcher with one pitcher or beat a team with one pitcher, then I'm going to have to make multiple changes to be able to keep them off balance. Talking with Coach Larissa Anderson from Missouri, your SEC softball media days. And, uh, Coach, that kind of leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I'm going to try to ask it to all the coaches here during media days. I just had the – Major League Baseball World Series, and a lot of the question marks, a lot of the discussion has gone along with the use of analytics. Tampa Bay went heavy with it, uh, and it kind of kind of bit them there in the sick in game number six. And I just wanted to ask you, and you mentioned your husband, how much do you really do you rely on analytics? Do you just use it as a tool? Do you say it's complete buckets? What do you do with analytics? Um, I use it to help me make the best decision possible, but it's not the sole reason for making my decisions. Um, way before analytics even came into play, I always trusted my gut, and I will always trust my gut. If I can't trust my gut, then it's time for me to get out of the game. So, you know, I'll use it to educate myself and to educate the players if there's something that's a very, very obvious tendency, but I am not flipping through a binder to see a right-lefty matchup with two outs and, you know, so on and so forth to make changes in that aspect. I will use it to be able to give 
our team a competitive advantage if I have to shift people one way or another, which I think is great. Um, but again, it's not the end-all, be-all. Um, Brian Cashman once came and talked to our athletic program when we were at Hofstra. And here you have someone at that level, the, the Yankees, where he had said every single decision he makes, he better have it in black and white on paper and have proof. Um, I don't know if I could coach that way because now it's taking out the, the gut instincts and sometimes it's all about players making plays and you do the best you possibly can to prepare them and it really comes down to them being able to execute what you put them in the situation. If the pitcher misses the pitch, you could have had everything lined up, but you know what? She just threw it over the heart of the plate and, that, and that's part of the game too, regardless of what you have on paper. Coach, looking at the offensive side for you, when we look around the league, we see a lot of great bats, a lot of three-headed monsters for a lot of the contenders that we saw emerge in 2020, and you've certainly got three of the best bats in the league in Kessinger, Wilmus, and Rollin. How do you feel like your offense uh, can catapult into 2021 with those three leading the way? I will tell you, we have been doing a lot of live hitting lately, and I actually said, like you're taking the words right out of my mouth, I actually said to my staff last night and again this morning that there's three batters in our lineup that I am nervous for our pitchers to throw to, and you name the three. Mm. Um, I just I, I get so scared. I don't want them to miss over the heart of the plate because I know that ball's coming right back up the middle. They are tough to throw to. They have unbelievable control of the strike zone. They don't chase at all. Um, so they're a tough out, and it's just great to have their experience, their expertise, at the top of the lineup that's really helping our younger players develop and, and just educating the whole way through. And to, to have some of this young talent that we have, to look up to those three and really try to emulate the type of hitters they are is, is pretty remarkable. And, Coach, when you came to Tuscaloosa in 2019, I was doing TV, if you remember, for that game, and Jazz Rollin had a fantastic series. She seems to be getting better uh, at the plate every single weekend throughout her career in Columbia, but uh, the one area that she seemed to struggle with a little bit last year was in the field. So what adjustments, what improvements is she making as she gets ready for another season for you over at, uh, over at Short? You know, the big thing is is the speed of the game. Um, it's just so much different at this level. She hasn't seen a ball come off the bat as hard as she has in, in the SEC. Um, so it's giving her more live experiences. Because when you go out there and you fungal balls, everything's routine, everything's great. You know, there's no pressure. So it's creating that game, that game speed, the game within the game, um, as more often as possible. Like, there's even times when we're taking BP that, We'll just stick her out there, and even if we put a net in front of her, just for her to get the reads off of the bat at, at that game speed um, to be able to react to. Coach, one of the things with everything that happened in 2020 was you got you got everybody with an extra year coming back, so you're you're in the same situation that all coaches are that where you're the puzzle pieces you're putting together. You got a bunch of different puzzles, a uh, bunch of pieces now coming in that you didn't know you were going to have for this year. Uh, how have you been able to manage that so far? I mean, practice planning is kind of interesting. We have 31 on our roster, um, so it does create a lot of competition. Um, the locker room's kind of small, and <laughs> the dugout's kind of small, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, creates a, it creates a lot more competition. And for the first time in my three years here, we have such unbelievable depth. Like, right now, we're scrimmaging, and we're 15 against 15, um, which is absolutely awesome mm -hmm. to have two teams that are so competitive against one another. 
where they can just flat out push each other. In years past, the people wanted to position by default. There wasn't anyone breathing down their neck, really challenging them. So now I'm starting to see with the competition that's being created, the, the returners, the ones who had the position last year, are being pushed, which is great because then it just makes our team that much better and it's making the people that were in that position before really excel their game because now they're starting to feel the pressure of the competition. Coach Anderson, Michaela Transu, who I hung out with a lot this summer at the FGCL, was absolutely raving about your newcomers coming in this season, and it sounds like they're doing a good job pushing the returners, like you just said, trying to make a space for themselves in the lineup. Who should we be looking out for as we look ahead to 2021 that's new on the roster? Um, I think you got to start with, well, first, Michaela Transu is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm so fortunate to have her on staff and the experience that she had in the Florida Gulf Coast League was just tremendous to her resume and her experience to be able to be a volunteer and also be a head coach and get that experience. So she's really brought a lot of what she's learned back to the program. Um, but I, I, I have to start with Lauren Krings, uh, freshman in the circle. She's from Colorado. She throws upper 60s, has hit 72 quite a bit this fall. So she's a hard thrower, and she's really learning how to pitch. Um, she's just been used to be able to, especially in that thin air in Colorado, blow it past people. So now she's really learning the art of pitching and how to read swings and, and get batters out by being able to manipulate the ball. So she's one that you're really going to want to watch. Um, Jenna Laird is an unbelievable talent that will be in the middle infield. Um, she's competing right now with Jasmine Rollin, and um, I have no adversity to be able to move her to second base in a second or in the outfield if I need to. Hmm. But she's another one that's a really special talent. And uh, Riley Frizzell is a, a very, very strong hitter um, from Ohio, uh, looks to play a little bit of first base. So she's one that's really challenging at first. Coach, another thing we're going to ask uh, all the coaches here as we continue with SEC Softball Media Days is uh, if you were appointed the czar of college softball, uh, what's one major change you would like to see? And that could be rules, that could be scheduling, that could right. be what we think a buy in the Women's College World Series before oh. the finals. What do you think? One major change. Oh, well, I'd, I'd change below our level. I would change the courtesy runner. Um, that is absolutely, when I have a catcher right now coming in, or, or Lauren Krings. Lauren Krings is a, is a hitter and potentially could hit in the SEC. She's never run the bases her entire life. Mm. So now I have to teach this kid how to run the bases, um, and then that's all because of the courtesy runner. Um, one one rule in the SEC or in the in NCAA softball, I don't know if there's one in particular. I do think in terms of RPI, if I could get into depth of that. Oh yes, um, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, we, and also we, we are we are not fans oh. at all of the of the committee, so we're so <laughs> for sure. Um, well, I'm not going to stomp on the committee because uh, some of my friends are on that committee, so I'm hoping they're making some good decisions. But I, what drives me crazy is the polls because I feel like it's just the shuffling of cards. Um, they, they look at the top 25, and then all you see is the results from the previous week, and they just get shuffled around again. So unless you're in the top 25 every single week, it's so hard to break into it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that process should change. And then in terms of the RPI, I would love it if if we go out and we beat the number one team and they're the number one team that week and at that point of the year, and then all of a sudden a month later their starting pitcher goes down, it doesn't take away the credibility of that win. 
Um, right. And eventually it does in the way that the system is set up right now. And it also punishes northern climate schools. They don't get extra bonus points like they do in basketball playing away from home. So I think if you if you padded 1 through 75 had the same value away, had the same value as 1 through 50 at home, then I think you see a lot more parity across the board. And it would also encourage a lot more teams to play 1 through 75 away. We are very much believers, Coach, in the same way you believe in analytics. We think the committee should use the RPI as a tool, as maybe a guideline, but not the Bible. And sometimes we've seen in recent years the NCAA tournament field has directly reflected the RPI, and it's it's a formula. It's not a perfect system, and there's not really any nuance to that. You know, and I also I think what happens too is that public sees the polls, so the public sees the popularity contest which is not an actual representation of their wins and losses. So I think it does need to be a combination of the two. Where I just remember back when Minnesota was like a top 10 in one of the ESPN or USA polls, and they got sent to Alabama, and everyone in the media is in an uproar. But then when you look at their strength of schedule and their RPI, it wasn't deserving of being a host. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be more education across the board and – just more public awareness of exactly what the rankings is and then talking to the committee and making sure that it's an actual poll, not just a popularity of who did well that week. Everyone was real. They felt so bad for Minnesota when that happened, but no one felt bad for Alabama. We didn't want, we didn't want the number one team to come in there, but you know, that's what we had to go with. I can tell you. So in 2018, no, 2015, we Hofstra was, 13th in the country mm-hmm. in one of the polls, an RPI, 13th in the country in RPI. They did not put in a bid to host regionals because we were, it was our graduation week. We got sent to the number one seed, Florida. Oh, so wow. Hofstra is a 13 seed is upset to go into number one. And number one's pretty pissed off that they got number 13 <laughs> when they deserve number one. So I do think that a lot of that needs to be evaluated. And they, they were having to face off with our good friend Morgan Lashley, if I, if I remember correctly. Yes, you're absolutely right. Oh, goodness. It all comes full circle. It does. It does. Missouri head coach Larissa Anderson. Coach, thank you so much for doing this with us. This is a really cool thing that we're trying to do. And thank you for being so open about your team. And we're really excited to see you in 2021. I don't think in the regular season, but definitely in the SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa. I'm looking forward to it, and I think we're going to have a great year all the way around. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Coach. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. So that's Larissa, a team now eligible to play in the SEC and NCAA tournament, Tom. Very exciting. They should have never not been eligible, but, yeah, happy that they're they're ready to go in 2021. As we said during that interview, I wasn't real excited about the fact Alabama was going to have to finish the year in, in Como in 2020 uh, against a team that was that was going to be their their postseason that was going to be their yep. Super Bowl and what we were hoping Alabama was going to be playing for at that point too that it's a team as we said it's going to be very very dangerous yes as we record these and as we record this as episode two stands we do not know what the schedule looks like no. in 2021 you will recognize throughout the rest of the media days and through the ones you've heard so far we do not really talk about scheduling. Missouri is the kind of team that if we do unfortunately go SEC only, which is on the table as mm-hmm. everything is, right. that's the kind of team that could be just super interesting to watch because 
They've struggled in the non-conference in the last couple of years, even since Loris has been there. But it's been conference play where they've really stunned some people. And I'd be interested right. to see if that came about in 2021. Yeah, if we do go to a conference-only schedule, I think it's going to kind of expose some people, and it's going to kind of let some people shine. Yes. Uh, you know, there was there's some schools and some teams that, you know, some years you play a really weak non-conference, not only just to get wins, but to work some things out. Yeah, and literally uh, to be the only way you get into the NCAA tournament in some right. cases. Yeah, but now if, if you don't have that non-conference – um, you're not going to have that opportunity. So every day is going to be just a dogfight. And there's some teams, if they have a tough early part, portion of that conference schedule, uh, you know, they could be done before before we turn the, the calendar. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, that's going to be very tough. We, I'm, I'm hoping that there you know, at least be have some semblance of a non-conference uh, for, for numerous reasons. Uh, but that's one of them is that it's just going to be so brutal for anybody to – you're playing SEC right off the bat, and you play nothing but SEC. Mm. I mean, there, there are very few respites in this conference, mm-hmm. and that's just based on the, the talent that we see on paper. Yeah, I mean, there are it's, none. Yeah, but when you slip in maybe a game against the team in last place right after you've played Florida and right before you play at Tennessee, yeah, suddenly there are no breaks. None. You need maybe a couple weaker non-conference teams, and I hope we do get that. We don't know, but hmm. yeah, I think you're right on the money there, partner, about what the schedule should look like. And I think Missouri could be that team that really is kind of, they, they kind of rise up in that situation just because of who their coach is. Yeah. They've certainly dealt with a lot of adversity already. Yes. Uh, and It would be nothing new to no, be fighting in a regular be, season. They'd be like, yeah, it's, this, <laughs> this is fine. Par for the course. I wonder yeah. if Mississippi State would be that kind of team. We can hmm. talk about that. As we uh, get ready to discuss things with Coach Samantha Ricketts for the Bulldogs. But before we do that, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, thank you, Gray and Tom, for telling us about Anchor. Now, let's us, Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury, here in the studio for the Out of the Box podcast, Softball Media Days, Talk about Samantha Ricketts and Mississippi State because this is a program that had a really good record in 2020. They didn't play the toughest schedule. The toughest game on their schedule was Oregon. They lost that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the signs are there for this team to really be a problem in 2021. Yeah, I think they're going to be one of those teams that that, that they they could take a series from almost anybody. Um, but you know, if, if you, if you're able to hit them, you may be able to, you know, take series from them, but it's going to be, uh, they're going to be a team that you're not just going to be able to roll out there and beat. I, I uh, think you're right on the money, by the way, Mississippi State's the kind of team that I just don't see ever getting swept in right. 21. Their pitching is too solid and their hitting is too powerful. Yep. It's, it's been a, it's been a weird time for her the entire time she's been in Starkville because she came in at a weird time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the coaching change was made late. 
Uh, so I have a feeling that she was kind of, you know, it's her first ever head coaching job. I feel like she was probably scrambling throughout most of the preseason last year. And then it, it was weird for everybody because of the way things happened in 2020. Right. Uh, so now she's dealing with all of that before going into season 2021 where we don't know what it's going to look like. Right. So it, it's, it's, it's a really odd situation and it takes, it takes a special type of person and type of coach to be able to handle it. I think she's done pretty well with that. Yeah, I mean, we asked her about that. I love her answer. All of you folks are about to hear it, and I can kind of, I can kind of see it. I mean, talking mm-hmm. with her, she was very open, very funny, uh, cool personality. Um, yep. I, again, another coach that I will be excited to see if we see them in twenty twenty one. This was one of the ones, you know, in addition to it being a a weird time, real timing of the coaching change, where when the announcement was made that she was named the head coach. You were kind of scratching your head a little bit because you, you thought that maybe Mississippi State could do it, could have gone for a you know a, a more established head coach. I remember at the time, and I apologize, Coach Ricketts, I was wrong, but I thought it was a temporary thing, similar to what we saw at Ole Miss with Coach Ruben Felix. Right. I thought this might be a holdover for a season, see what happens. Now, to be fair, her one season, we didn't exactly see what was going to happen, but I can just tell by talking with her, by hearing her discuss her program, she's in this for the long haul. Yeah. And, and I can see why she got the job. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And I think it was a great move by Mississippi State, and I hope all of you agree because you're about to hear from Samantha Ricketts. Should we get to it? Let's do it. All right, folks, Samantha Ricketts, the head coach at Mississippi State. Here's what she had to say about her Bulldogs as we roll right along with Softball Media Days. It's now time for some Hail State here at SEC Media Days on Out of the Box. And joining us now entering her second season in Starkville after a very successful short in 2020, the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Samantha Ricketts. Coach Ricketts, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, we're really excited to talk with you, and I really want to first talk about you because you've had quite a unique timeline and tenure in Starkville. So you're hired in July of 2019, kind of late to the game in terms of how the coaching carousel usually goes. You have a great first year. It's shortened because of the pandemic. Now you've got a strange fall practice. You've got teams having meetings on Zoom in the offseason. What have you learned about yourself as a coach during the last year that you've been at the helm in Starkville? Oh, man, um, how to be flexible and how to really make adjustments on the run and that I can't control everything. I think <laughs> that's one of the things as a coach, you want to be in control and make the decisions. And, you know, I've had to sit back and had to really learn to, you know, we talk about hitting the proverbial curveball, and there's been a lot of that going on. And not so much talking about what you've learned. What have you learned about your team? I think the same thing. I mean, after you know going through the fall and with all of the COVID adjustments and just everything that's been thrown at them and changes from what a typical college experience would be, I've really been really impressed with just their maturity and how they've bounced back and been resilient with everything. And you know, we knew going into the season that it was going to look a lot different than than what they were used to. Um, but just really overall impressed with. Um, how serious they took the whole, you know, the COVID, the situation and understanding that in order to be on the field, it was going to take everybody being bought in to doing the right thing because all it was going to take was one person that could knock us out of practice for two weeks if that were to happen. And we had a couple uh, individual quarantines and a lot of it we talked about was 
outside of our control, but we really made it us versus COVID instead of placing the blame on one individual who might have been a primary contact, and that was really nothing they could have done to prevent that. And during the actual 2020 season, before things got got shut down, you guys were having a, a really good start to that season. Uh, just what was the reaction and how disappointed was the team when uh, things things got shut down? Yeah, it was it was really tough. I think particularly on the senior class and something that you know they'd really been excited for and the changes and what we were seeing really you know in year one with the with the different coaching staff. Um, so I think a lot of frustration, a lot of just. Um, you know, the unknown, I think, was a lot of the fear that drives that. Um, but really, I think after kind of processing it a little bit and then realizing, um, hey, we get the opportunity to get this year back, and that doesn't happen in real life. You know, if you if something happens or comes up, we, you don't get a do-over. And so I think understanding that we're going to take advantage of this opportunity because, you know, if you're out in the real world and you lose a year like this, like, it's over. It's done and it's gone. So... For them, it's been just a big lesson in just being grateful um, and embracing it and really using softball as kind of their normalcy for right now and to escape a lot of what's going on around them and understanding that this is their time to kind of have a release and away from the stressors or the pressure that might be going on in all sorts of facets around their lives right now. Coach, I want to take a little bit of a look back because in 2019, Emily Williams was your main arm. That was who Mississippi State threw in all the big games, and it was no secret that she was effectively wild. That was kind of her thing. (laughs) She would strike out a lot of people, but she would walk a lot of people. Then you look at 2020, you throw in Annie Willis, the transfer from Troy, and she was spectacular. (laughs) What did the addition of her to the pitching staff do to help Emily Williams maybe calm down a little bit and be more efficient when she was pitching because the stats were much improved in 2020. Yeah, I think Annie was a huge addition for us. Um, you're not just her skill, which obviously there's a lot of, but uh, just her presence. And she's a, such a great leader for our pitching staff, and it didn't matter that she was new. She fit right in with Emily um, and with really the rest of the team as well and was able to lead by example a lot in the weight room for them. And I think push um, Emily, you know, with her work ethic as well. And really they kind of became, you know, 1A and 1B. I wouldn't really have called either one of them an ace because they were both, they're so different in their approaches. um, And they really balanced each other well. But I think adding her was huge for us. And then really a, a lot of credit to Coach Johnson and bringing him in and just the changes that he made with the staff in general and cutting down on our overall walks. Um, increasing velocity and just really improving the overall pitching staff numbers was such a key piece for us and something that you know I knew when when I was hired was going to have to be my number one priority. And offensively, of course, everyone knows me, Davidson, Falalua, uh, that those are going to be the, the keys of that offense. Uh, but what have you seen from the rest of your offense uh, here in, in fall practice? Yeah, I mean, we definitely we go as Ian Fago. I think that's not a surprise, but the big thing is um, – you know, they need the supporting cast around them. They need someone to drive them in and protect them so that they're able to see the pitches to cause the type of damage that they can. Um, you know, and we were seeing that in 2020 from Carter Spexar. They really like you know, the way she was stepping up. She's another one with a lot of potential, and it happened quite a bit in the spring where they'd pitch around Mia and Fa, and Carter would just hit the three-run home run and hit them in. So um, she's continued on that path, and she's going to be a big bat for us. Uh, same with Anna Kate Seegers. She's really gotten hot the last couple of weeks and 
you started to get back to where she finished off in 2020. So I, I expect a lot from her as well. Offensively, she's a big left-handed power bat for us. Um, and then Mia Davidson's sister, Montana, um, she's a year older. She's got a redshirt year, so they're now in the same class. But she's had a great fall, the best fall she's had um, you know, since she's been here overall, just defensively, offensively, her consistency, and really her, her maturity and her leadership skills have really stood out to me. So I'm um, really looking for a lot from her as well. Talking with Mississippi State head coach Samantha Ricketts. Coach, I, I really want to focus on Fale Lua because she is terrifying in the box. She's got one of the scariest <laughs> swings in the SEC, and now she's got that extra year of eligibility. I think I read she's about to turn yeah. 24. So how, yeah. as one of the most feared hitters in America, is she improving her game so that she can be even scarier in the box when she faces opposing pitchers? Yes. Fa is a six-year senior now for us. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you don't see that a lot. And she's by the time we hit season, she's going to be 24 in the box facing 18-year-old pitchers. So I, that already is very intimidating. But for her, <laughs> and it's great for me. I love it. But, uh, you know, one of our focuses within our program is on development and continuing to improve and, you know, not letting – Fa or Mia or any of the others kind of sit back on what they've done in the past. And, you know, Fa will be the first one to tell you that she has a lot of things she can improve on. And really it's within the past year, um, her focus has kind of shifted, you know, more towards she wants to be a hitting coach when she leaves. And she's hmm. talked, uh, you know, with our staff. She's also talked with some friends that we have in minor league baseball um, and just kind of feeling out like what the opportunities might be for a female on in either side of the game in baseball or softball. Um, so for her, I think that's really kind of helped her to look at herself as a hitter in a different view. Now starting to look at it from a coaching perspective and she's always done a great job with our younger hitters. She's, you know, an extension of myself as a hitting coach and is able to take any of the younger ones along. If I'm working in one cage with one hitter, I trust her to kind of run the next cage with another hitter. Um, and Mia's the same way, but you know, for her, we've kind of picked a few things that, Maybe we saw where some holes or some weaknesses, and we've, we've turned them into strengths this fall. And I think it's, she has the potential to be even scarier than she's been in the past, and that's really exciting for us. And also why it's so important that we have people around her to protect her so that she can get the pitches that, that she can do damage on. Scarier than the past. I'm, that's, I can't even imagine what that, that looks like. Me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, but, Coach, you're dealing with something that everyone is dealing with now uh, this year with – the players from last season who were seniors getting the extra year of eligibility. So mm -hmm. a few more puzzle pieces to put together uh, with, with the new newcomers coming in. Uh, just talk about what your, like what your philosophy is and how you're going to be able to do that and talk about those newcomers in particular and what they're going to be able to bring. Yeah. You know, for us, it really wasn't that big of a deal. We signed a pretty small um, freshman class. So we only brought in three um, and then of the extra eligibility only three returned. So we had two that decided to graduate and move on. Lindsey Williams uh, was one of them. But so we're, our roster size right now is at 23. So it's, it's manageable. It's about where we're normally at. Mm -hmm. And the biggest difference that kind of come from that is just the maturity at practice. You know, we weren't trying to teach nine new freshmen, the culture, the system, um, the defenses, the rules, whatever it might be, it was like, hey, we're picking up where we left off, and we're just going to bring you along with us. 
so that's been different in a good way, I think, for us. And just to really kind of see that growth and maturity from the entire team, you know, our, our sophomore class is our biggest class. I guess they're COVID freshmen. I don't really know what to call them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're the group last year that there were nine of them that were brand new. And it was, you know, there's a big learning curve. And now they're being treated like the upperclassmen, like the rest of them. Like, no, you've been through this. You know how this works. Like, let's, let's go. Let's get a move on with this. Um, so we've really enjoyed that. The one who's had to, I think, the freshman pick up the most with it is Addison Purvis um, because she, she does both. She pitches and she hits. She plays first base. Um, so she's had to kind of, you know, jump in with all the returners on both ends of the, of the ball. And you know, she's a left-handed power hitter, and she can also pitch. She's got some, you know, a lot of velocity in the circle as well. So for her, I think ultimately in the long run, it's going to really benefit her to – to kind of learn on the fly like she has. Um, but I expect to see a little bit of her on both sides. I can see her giving us some innings in the circle um, as well as you know, maybe some pinch hits and working her way into the lineup, hopefully with her bat as she continues to grow and mature. It's going to be tough to, to crack a pretty mature lineup for us of a lot of veterans. We've got, I think, eight players that are in year four, five, or six. Mm. Well, and it was so interesting to read about how in fall practice you were doing these scrimmages, four team scrimmages, I think, or, or four colors, mm-hmm. and you're using the athletes' unlimited scoring system. And yeah, I don't want to debate the system. Tom and I have a couple things about it that we think should be counted, but it was really interesting to watch in the off season as athletes unlimited was getting going. So as you implemented that with your team, did it kind of give you a better idea of where everybody on the roster stacked up or was it just kind of a fun tool to use to kind of be different in these scrimmages? Yeah, for us, it really worked out well. And we did change it a little bit, um, you know, to fit kind of our priorities. And we added a couple defensive um, ways to earn or lose points. So there we go. That, focus on that. that was my main problem <laughs> with it. You've got to get points for throwing out a base stealer if you're a catcher. <laughs> yes, that was one of my main arguments. And, you know, we went back and forth on it, and we ran a couple scrimmages. Um, you know, we added, like, double play bonus points, um, mm. minus points for errors, just so there was a little bit of that focus because we, it's something that we do preach a lot of. Um, but we really used a couple of scrimmages as like trial runs. Since we were doing a four-team system, it made it different. And I would have loved to have done a two-team scrimmage, but we just don't have the the bodies for that right now. We have eight pitchers, and they can't all play middle infield. So um, it, it would have been tough to do a two-team scrimmage. But it was it was fun to see them kind of you know place value and understand like on what yes they're individual points, but this all this is all adding up to a team win. Um. And really, we're kind of, you know surprising to see like who came out as the captain, and it did just it changed their focus a little bit and their intent. Once we went you know in uniform with something on the line, because it's the first time we've been able to do that this fall, not getting any outside competition, and it finally you know it felt more game like. We scrimmaged twice a week already as it is, and those I think were the most intense scrimmages that we had had, and so that was really fun to see for us to wrap up. Um, and to see them compete and really get after it because they were they were playing with intent and knowing what they were trying to do to earn some points and a win for their team. Talking to Samantha Ricketts, it's SEC Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box podcast, and uh, she's the head coach of Mississippi State. And Coach, uh, something I've been asking all the coaches here on, during Media Days is uh, one of the big stories that came out of the Major League Baseball World Series was the use of analytics, Tampa Bay, you know, they – used analytics to get there but then it kind of bit them in, in game six and i just yep. wanted i just wanted to know what your 
what your thoughts about analytics analytics were and uh, how you use them in your coaching and managing. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had that same debate in the office because I think it is something that we use more than we have in the past. Um, but, you know, all right, if we were in that situation, would we have done the same? And I think that's, that's been a good conversation for us as coaches and something that we're always trying to improve on as well is you know, the balance between the numbers and just the gut feeling. Yeah. Um, and I think we've definitely focused in on it more. Josh Johnson has kind of brought a little bit more of a data-driven approach for us. Um, and, you know, we actually had a situation a little bit similar to that where we had to make a decision in the spring. Um, Andy Willis was pitching. It was a close game, I want to say, against Southeastern Missouri, a really good team. I think they were 50, uh, in the top 50 RPI. And, you know, it was really kind of cruising along. But we knew at that point in the season, it was still early, that at about whatever her max pitch count was, but there was a certain number where her velocity and her spin rate had been dropping. And that's mm. something that we tracked through games and through scrimmages and practice. So we knew in the sixth inning that she had hit her kind of February limit. And for us, we're not trying to get them at their max pitch count in February. We're, you know, we're saving that for once we get to SEC. Um, and, you know, I think she could have finished the game, but you also had Emily Williams, who's, you know, ace number one, a one B warm in the bullpen and who they hadn't seen, you know, they'd seen Annie three times through already. And Annie hadn't really gotten into trouble yet, but we didn't, we also didn't want to wait until she did like, let's not let them back in this with one swing. And we've got Emily sitting off to the side. So we made the pitching change. Uh, Emily came in, walked the first batter, <laughs> but then got, she got right out of it. And for us, that was, that was based off the numbers, um, but it was also based off of you know, just that feeling of let's use the best arm we have if they're still available and fresh. Yeah, and it, I it, think that made it something different with the with the Rays there. Yeah, just it it's finding that that balance as far as from what I can see from from the outside, it's just trying to find the balance of coaching in the moment and you know not making a decision about a game hours before the game actually happens. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, the gut feeling of it all and understanding, you know, what our philosophies are going in. Um, and it was something, you know, Josh and I were talking about, and when it came up, our, both of us were like, bring it Emily. Like, we were on the same page, we agreed, and we knew in the moment um, that's what we were work- that we both wanted to do. Coach Ricketts, as we look ahead to 2021, what is the next step for your program to go from kind of the, the consistent tournament team, the team that's mm-hmm. always right there in the SEC, to being that upper echelon conference team and being a team that can challenge for a host position? Because you seem to be uh, well on your way in 2020, but how do you get to that point in 2021? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the goal is, is we want to be now a, a top 16 team that's in the conversation to host every year. Um, and for us, it was we needed to get our pitching to match what our hitting had been the last couple of years. And, you know, we've been um, in the top third in offensive numbers for, you know, since I've been here for at least the last couple of years, um, I want to say majority three or four of the years, but the pitching has been the bottom three in the conference. And, you know, we need that to balance out in order to really kind of bring a more balanced approach to both sides of the ball. Um, so that for me was key number one is we needed to do something different with our pitching staff than we've been doing in the past. And, you know, we needed a bigger focus on the player development piece um, and to really, you know, use that to start driving our culture. And 
you know, it was helpful taking over that all the team knew me, the recruits knew me, I'd been here with them. So it wasn't so much as a starting over with the new staff. It was, all right, let's build on what we've been doing and make it better. Um, so I think we've seen that culture change within the team. We've seen the leadership. We put more of an emphasis on, you know, being a lot more player led and then not always looking to us for the answer and the correction, you know, that it's not just coming from the coaches, that it's everybody as invested as the coaching staff is. Um, and I think we really were seeing that payoff pretty quickly for us in the spring, which is really fun to, to watch. Coaches, we're wrapping things up. Just wanted to ask you if tomorrow the powers that be called you and said, Coach Ricketts, you are now in charge of college softball. You're the czar. Is there is there one rule or one thing that you would like to change, or is there something that you would like to see done in softball? Ooh, well, my first initial reaction is the pitching rules, but I think that might just be because it's been a hot topic. Mm. But it's just I think because it's been so inconsistent, I think we can go a little bit more towards the international rules mm. that would actually make it easier on the umpires to call. Um. That way, I think we've just seen the inconsistencies, especially when the game matters in conference play and then postseason where all of a sudden something's being called that hasn't been called on a pitcher before. Um, we haven't had that problem really as much lately, but I've seen it affect a lot of others, and we've discussed that. So to me, that's kind of the prevalent issue right now is let's just be a little more consistent and go, you know, we, we give the step back off the mound. Um, you know, let's just make it the straight international rule and make that easier on all the umpires to call. Yeah, Coach, I feel like, and you would know obviously much better than us because you've played, you've coached, you recruit all these players, but I feel like there's such an imbalance of the rules from all the way at the professional ranks all the way in high school and just how different everything is at every level. Yeah, yeah, they have to relearn it. And even now, you know, we've added the back foot can finally be off the mound. Well, in travel ball in high school, they can step back to get there. We cannot. So, you know, those players coming in are going to have to relearn that when they get here. So yes, it would be, I think a lot easier if we can get everyone on the same page. Um, you know, at the younger level, I would like to see some of these younger age groups, especially since we've kind of, uh, adjusted the recruiting rules, but have them go back to playing 40 feet or pitching from 40 feet. I think you know, there's no reason for these 12, 13 year olds to throw from 43. They're not strong enough. And I think you, I think that's a big difference in the pitching that you've seen. You see a lot more players quit pitching early you know, my sister threw from 40 until she got to college. And I think that a lot of credit to why she, you know, was able to develop the way she was. I mean, she was throwing hard anyways, but I think we, that's also been something that we've kind of noticed throughout the last couple of years with these young kids with 14 under showcases and they're trying to throw from the college distance. Well, we're behind you. We're, <laughs> we will back your nomination as college softballs yeah. are. <laughs> Uh, that's head coach Samantha Ricketts joining us here for SEC Media Days. Coach Ricketts, thank you so much. This was such a blast. It was great to finally get to talk with you, and we'll see you this season. Best of luck to the Bulldogs. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, and you know, we're excited. I think um, you know what we're looking for. I think we're going to hopefully all goes well, see a pretty, pretty decent number of games from what we've been talking about. So we're ready to go no matter what we're allowed. I think we're all going to be grateful to be out there. Well, we're ready for that, too. So it should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Coach. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Coach. So there you have it. 
things sound pretty good down in Starkville, and it's not just little Deweys that we're talking about. I think the softball program is really going to be a thorn in people's sides in 2021. And Coach Ricketts, again, thank you to her for joining us. Mm-hmm. I mean, she seems really excited about not just the big boppers, right. but the Carter Specksarths, the Montana Davidsons yeah. in the lineup. Everybody else that can help out me and Fa in 2021. Yeah, that's 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 what it's all about for Mississippi State uh, offensively. You know, protecting Mia and Fa and and getting some production outside of them, and then in the circle, continuing the improvement that we started to see in 2020, uh, building the depth and and being able to uh, throw strikes. No, no, that's <laughs> not walk people, <laughs> right? That's literally that's literally what it all comes down to. Which you know, we we joke about that sometimes. Is that that's one of the funniest things when you hear fans yell, you know, throw strikes. It's like she's trying. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a ball right. call, right? On the sheet for the three-two pitch, I'll tell you that. Right. I'm okay, pre- I'm pretty sure number five one three is not in the dirt. But that's what <laughs> happens sometimes. So yeah, so I, I I think you can see that with Mississippi State, um, they're going to probably, like you said, not get swept in any any of their series this year. Could have a say, even if they aren't the ones. Kind of like what I said with Missouri last year. Even if they're not the ones winning the conference, they might have a say in who does. Yeah, uh, depending on who what type of wins they get. Go to Little Dewey's and then have Sydney Little John. Uh, cook us some some That's stuff after right pastries or brownies or whatever she wants yeah. i have you seen folks i'm mm. going to give a little plug i don't know yeah. her handle but you should follow her on instagram because her stories revealing mm. the desserts that she makes working at the uh, coffee house and dessert emporium i guess is what <laughs> it is in starkville real remarkable I, and I am really thankful to call her my TV partner because she has said, and don't worry, Tom, I will smuggle you okay, some. good. Right. She is bringing some of these treats if to do TV games next year. If you're going to leave me to do TV, at least you could do is is give me some treats. <laughs> Here is an entire right. chocolate cake. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's just game one of a series, Tom. Right. <laughs> yes. I know. I, like, I have considered driving over to Starkville. Me too. Just to go to Little Dewey's and, and going to get a dessert from Sydney. We should do that. I think that, that and we'll go hang out with Coach Ricketts. Yeah, and see if she wants to since, come by. Since we're all good friends now. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Let's uh, let's lock the door. Speaking of good, of good friends, yeah. let's talk about Auburn. <laughs> and I mean that wholeheartedly. You know, yes. I had an Auburn fan reach out to me through a message board somewhere a long time ago and say we really actually do enjoy listening to the show and hearing y'all talk about Auburn because they like to hear the Alabama perspective. I'm not sure how often pretty open Alabama people get to interview Auburn coaches, but we got to do that with our next guest you're going to hear after the break, Mickey Dean. Yeah, like I I don't I don't foresee us if we wanted to trying to get in touch with Gus Malzahn and he and he giving us that type of interview. Probably not. Right. Uh I've met Coach Pearl a couple times, but that was that was back in his Tennessee days. Right. So probably not there. Yeah. Uh, but so. uh, but Coach Mickey Dean is Pro- probably not with the previous softball coach at Auburn. No, oh and Lord, no. Not and sure I'm, anybody not sure. wanted yeah, to. So that's okay. not a call I would make. No, right. But Mickey Dean is a really thoughtful guy, and we'll preview this in a minute. But he was really impressive to me. me really too. impressive. Yep. So uh, let's take a break, and then we'll talk to Mickey Dean on the other side. We'll be right back here on the Out of the Box Softball Media Days, Episode Two. Welcome back. It's time to talk Tigers. 
Something that All right. I never thought I'd say. But I, I genuinely did enjoy this conversation. We just kind of mentioned it in the previous segment. Real thoughtful guy. You're going to hear his answers. He was real nice. We had a great conversation off the record after I pressed record. Just a real good guy. And yep. someone that I can see why uh, Coach Murphy, from what we understand, has a pretty good relationship with him. Because you could tell that the rivalry was there. Sure. With the previous administration mm-hmm. at Auburn. Not so much now. There seems to be a pretty good relationship between Alabama and Auburn with the two current stabs over yeah. there. Yeah, I agree. In fact, you know, we were talking with him about uh it being I when we recorded this, it was Iron Bowl week and uh so that there's I think he gives some really good thoughtful answers there. Also one thing that was interesting is and we'll hear it in the interview too, is that he was he's been one of the few, if not maybe the only one that we've talked to that mentions some of the other stuff that's been going on in 2020 that's right. outside of the pandemic that he's dealing with and how coaches are dealing with that type. Of, so again, just dealing with, you know, the really thoughtfulness of him as a coach. And, you know, yeah, I thought we got a lot from him outside of just what his team is of just, you know, how, how you're, how you can be a coach in 2020 is it, it's, it's not an easy gig. No, know that much. it's a different kind of time. And yeah. that was, you're exactly right. He brought up a lot of the topics in 2020. And that was something that we hadn't really brought up to the other coaches. No. Uh, um, the, and that's, I'm not saying anything against what the oh, other coaches Oh, yeah, of course. Just saying, but just it was really interesting that he he brought that up on his own. Yes. And I was I was really fascinated by him all the way around. I, yeah. I can't wait for all of you to hear this. This was a really <laughs> fun interview with the Auburn head softball coach, Mickey Dean. So without further ado, we will quit puttering around and we will press play because it's time for all of you to hear Mickey Dean as we continue along with Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. We are pleased to welcome in the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, Mickey Dean, as we continue along with Softball Media Days and discuss what is going on down on the Plains. Coach Dean, welcome into Out of the Box. How are you? War Eagle. I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing great. It's a real honor to talk with you and kind of have the Alabama-Auburn mashup here for the Out of the Box podcast, Softball Media Days. And I, we, we, don't, was, we don't hear that phrase very often on this We podcast. don't. <laughs> we'll allow it, though. We'll allow it today. <laughs> uh, and I think it's so interesting to talk with you because Auburn was in such an interesting place in 2020. You played an extremely tough non-conference schedule playing in Clearwater, playing out west at the Mary Nutter, opening conference play at Florida the one weekend we got to do it. So what do you feel like you learned from your team in the shortened season? Uh, our team had some fight and uh, we had uh, we were continuing to get better each week. And so, uh, you know, we really weren't sure going into the season uh, how good we were going to be and uh, how competitive we were going to be. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the trip out out west really opened up some young players' eyes uh, and it enabled our our upperclassmen to say, all right, we need to step up a little bit here and and lead this team. And we had started to play better. uh, Doesn't mean we didn't have any bad games in there, but – Overall, we were, we were playing better, and uh, we were competing. And um, we'd won some games that I wasn't sure that uh, we had the talent to win. But our, our toughness brought us through some of those games. And we had some players that stepped up. You know, we had Carly McConaughey start, started really hitting the ball extremely well. Um, McKenna Dow really, uh, really was excelling with her bats. Um, Alyssa Rivera. 
I think, was leading our team in hitting. And then Sam, uh, with her pitching, uh, was just, you know, she just caught on fire. And uh, we felt that uh, anytime she was in a circle, we had an opportunity to beat anybody. And that's a that's a lot of confidence to have going into a game. And uh, as as much as you guys went through in the in the non-conference playing the tough schedule you did showing that that toughness and then uh, only got the one series in in the in the SEC season uh, how disappointing was it for the season to end like it did and then how did the, the team respond well you know you asked that question that's a difficult one to ask because it, it happened so quick you know uh, we're playing at home here in a midweek and about the fourth inning, I start hearing the word that, um, you know, this is, we're going to shut down for a couple of days. And then, um, so at the end of the day, at the end of the game, uh, I, let her, I let our team know that uh, we're going to shut it down for a couple of days and we'll get back to practice uh, that following Monday. And then each day, everything just changed so quickly. Uh, the next thing you know, we're sending them home and, and the season's over. And so you really never, you never got an opportunity to, to really say, hey, what just happened? And so you spent the summer really going through those things with your team. And um, yeah, it was different. It was, it was very different. And so, you know, immediately once, once we realized everything was going to be off and shut down for good, um, we sat down in staff and said, all right, now how do we take this negative and pull some positives out of it? And so that was our entire focus the entire summer. Because as you know, COVID wasn't the only thing that was going on over the summer. There was a lot of stuff. There was election year. There was social injustice. There was a lot of things that were going on that here we are as a team going through it in different parts of the country. And um, so we, you know, we, we, we spent that time talking about those issues, allowing people to, to express their feelings, to express their thoughts, and, and to really hold no judgment on that. And uh, that's what we spent our summer doing. And, and how hard is it as a coach when you're supposed to have all the answers and, and everything changes so much you don't have them? Well, you don't have answers. And I think that's an opportunity right there where, you know, as a coach, you're always, you're always trying to give motivational speeches. You're always trying to give motivation to your players. And now here's an opportunity for you to step back and listen. Listen to your players. Listen to your team. Listen to everyone. And that's really what I tried to do was not so much fix everything or, or say, hey, everything's going to be fine but more of just, just listen, allow, allow your, allow your family to have a voice individually and to be able to express those things. And, um, and so I thought that was good for our team. 
Coach, this is just something that interests me because you're entering your fourth season in Auburn. You had a really good tenure coaching up at James Madison. What are the biggest differences that you've noticed from coaching in the SEC at a program that's still trying to move its way back up the standings to where they were about eight years ago versus at one of the two or three best group of five schools? Well, the difference for me has been it's not a quick fix on what you're trying to do. Um, if you're not willing to take the time to really build it and, and, and put it together, uh, there is no quick fix. The competition is too steep. Um, you know, all the coaches are great coaches. I'm not going to outcoach someone. And uh, you really got to have a, a good or great culture that when someone, a recruit, and their family steps into our facility, steps onto our campus, they can feel that. And so I wanted to make sure that that, that was put together the correct way uh, for me. We were trying to do it. And so it, it, it's not an overnight fix. The process, uh, it can be tough sometimes but we talk about process with our players all the time. And that if you, if you don't follow through your process, you try to circumvent it, you try to take shortcuts, you can do more damage. And so as difficult as it can be, uh, and even though we talk about it, we preach it, we teach it, uh, you have to be willing to stay within the process and, and to really build it, build a, a strong foundation. You, you mentioned trying to find some of the positives and in, in the negative situation. One of the silver linings is you get an extra year with some of your seniors, Justice Perry, Alyssa Rivera, Tannen Snow, uh, and some others as well. How important are they going to be for your team here in 2021? Well, I just think that, you know, not, not just with their experience, but with their maturity. You know, every year you, you gain some maturity. And for them, <clears throat> on a Wednesday night, in March, they had everything taken away from them. At a snap of a finger, it was over. And they didn't know what was going to happen. And we talked to our athletes, we talked to our coaches all the time that nothing's ever guaranteed. And to have that happen, and then to turn around and say, all right, you're gonna get another opportunity I felt like they took that very seriously. And, you know, my biggest concern is how's our team going to come in in August and September when we got back? And to be honest with you, that's about the best shape I've ever had team return in after a summer. And it wasn't just a summer. It was almost six months. Uh, so they did their work. You know, they did their job. They, uh, they stayed in contact. Uh, we did our weekly Zoom meetings, and one of the things that the NCAA did that, uh, that we really tried to take advantage of is that we were able to incorporate about halfway through the summer our incoming freshmen into our Zoom calls. And so we really tried to take advantage of that, of our players getting to know each other, because, you know, that's a transition within itself. And um, 
So we would break out in small groups. We would do little projects and so forth so that they could really get to know each other. Uh, it's never perfect, but those are some of the things that we worked on. And, and having those seniors come back, you know, it's a catch-22, but I, I think it, uh, we, we approached it in such a way that, that it was a positive for our program. Auburn head coach Mickey Dean joining us here for softball media days and coach earlier you talked about Samantha Yarbrough and she had one of the most epic performances that we saw in uh, in the shortened softball season with that insane extra inning showdown in Gainesville against Florida she was your game two starter that weekend and something that we discussed on the episode right before the season shut down with Amanda Scarborough was how we thought and wondered if she was going to become the Friday Sunday starter going forward the rest of the season for you in conference play. Did it look like Samantha was trending in that direction? And does she look primed to be that ACE for you in 2021? It, it did look as though we were moving in that direction. You know, a lot of things go into that physically, how can they handle it? Um, are they sore after an outing and so forth? And so it's not just, Hey, Sam's really good. Let's make her a Friday, Sunday starter. There's more that goes into it than that. Uh, just like, I mean, you don't know how much it killed me to pull her uh, in that game against Florida. But that's one game, and it's amazing. You think about it now, that was not, it was, we were three games from our season ending. Right. Yeah. That at the point. Uh, but you, know, you think about it, it's one game among, 60 some games that hopefully we're playing that year. And, you know, when you start getting up into that pitch count, you, you've got to start thinking about the health of your player. And so when you talk about your rotation, you, you talk about when to pull a pitcher, um, you know, how they're performing, some things go in, some, some more thought goes into it than just that. Uh, Coach, with all the, all the different people coming in, uh, you got a, a pretty large roster now here for 2021. Uh, how are you going to manage some of that? Well, you know, uh, one of the things we did in the fall, because like I said, we hadn't, we hadn't seen the returners in almost six months. Uh, we had nine incoming, 10 actually, including the transfer. And so we spent a great deal of the fall scrimmaging, uh, whether it was against the machine, whether it was against our GAs pitching, or whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether it was against our, our pitchers pitching. Um, we ended every, almost every practice, at least an hour of it. And I, I felt that that was the best way for us to teach the game because we weren't gonna get any fall games and we wanted to be able to teach at, uh, I think I froze up here, so. Um, I wanted to be able, we wanted to be able to teach in a way that was more or, or closer to the speed of the game, if that makes sense. And so we spent a great deal of time doing that. And I think it has really benefited our players. Um, and, it, and it gave our kids you know, rather than just taking drills, uh, they got close to two to 300 live at bats throughout the fall. And, and, and that's really what we needed. 
And so that's that's where we spend our time. Say, were you actually able to get a little bit more out of doing it that way than you would if you had a regular fall where you, you got to play two or three other different people? Possibly. You know, the, the difference is I think your adrenaline is a little bit different when you're playing someone with a different color jersey and a different school name. Um, but uh, I think the competition was very good because they're playing against each other and that level of player. And they really couldn't let their guard down. It wasn't a situation where in a fall game, we were going to put a pitcher out there and they were going to dominate and our hitters could just sit back and not do anything. Our pitchers could go out and have a bad day, but yet our team would put up 10 or 15 runs. Uh, so it was, it was really competitive. Coach, here's what I'm most excited to ask you about. The newcomers coming in this year, you add the Ole Miss transfer, Kaylee Horton, who is one of the best outfielders in the country, making spectacular catches back when she was in Oxford. And then you add these freshmen who are, who are remarkable. I, I think uh, two of the top 10 in the Softball America rankings, I know there are a lot of rankings everywhere, but that's really right. impressive to bring in those caliber youngsters. So what are you expecting to see from the freshmen and from Kaylee in the 2021 season? Uh, well, you know, for Kaylee, the thing that impressed me about Kaylee was her, uh, her postseason play, uh, especially her offense. Uh, each year in the, in the postseason play, it seemed like her offense jumped up 50 to 100 points. Um, and so that's, that's what drew my attention there. Uh, as far as the newcomers, you know, we were able to go out and get two pitchers that can be very dominant in very different ways. One's a righty, one's a lefty. Uh, and they can dominate a game in different ways. And so you're able to throw something different at your opponent out of two pitchers, it can be very dominant, but very different. And that's difficult for an offense to adjust to. Uh, and then we brought some speed. We, we, we went out and we got a great deal of speed. Uh, and, and, you know, Michaela Packer, just the speed that we were able to, to, to add to uh, our lineup. And then, of course, we were able to add some power uh, with uh, Denver Bryant. And all of our players were able to play at a very high level and play for national championships, have played on national teams um, and, and have that experience. So, so we were excited about that. Yeah. Talking with Auburn head coach Mickey Dean here as we continue softball media days on the Out of the Box podcast. And uh, coach, we kind of know what the, as we're recording this, this is on Iron Bowl week. Uh, for football, and uh, we kind of know what it's like from the Alabama point of view. But if this was a normal year, we know everything's not normal here this year, but, you know, hopefully we'll get back to a normalcy soon. But uh, if this was a normal year, how big of a week is this for you as the Auburn softball coach, and how, what is a normal Iron Bowl week like for you? Well, I haven't been to an Iron Bowl away game, but I have been to both since I've been here that were at home. And you know, I've been to several professional football games. I've been to college football games all across the country. You will never experience anything like an iron ball game. Uh, it's, it's just, it is different. It is very different. Uh, it's not a one day event. 
it's it's a week long event. And then when you when you go to the stadium, there are as many people outside the stadium as there are inside the stadium. And, and it's 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 pretty amazing. It's an amazing atmosphere. Um, and, and it's something awesome to experience. And then it carries over. It carries over into all of your other uh, teams. Uh, you know, every event when you play Alabama now becomes an Iron Bowl event. And, um, it, it really is an awesome experience. It's a, it's a great atmosphere. It's competitive. And, um, and to be honest with you, for the most part, uh, you know, in Alabama, you're an Alabama fan or you're an Auburn fan. You're not both. Uh, and but they seem to get along for the most part. They, they just, they, you know, they jive at each other and, and, and get at each other. Uh, but it, uh, it seems to be a healthy, healthy environment. Coach, I, I've been to a couple games at Jordan-Hare and it really is quite an atmosphere. And, you know, I've worked games at Alabama too and seen, uh, seen the coaches uh, and talked to them and, and asked how, bringing some of these recruits or having some of these recruits experience uh, the football games can help their program. It certainly does at Alabama, but how does uh, letting some of these softball players see what a game is like at Jordan Hare and what a really rambunctious Auburn weekend at a big time sporting event can be like help you with recruiting? Well, I can tell you when our, when our kids come, our recruits come to the game and they're into our program two, three years, they're still talking about their visit that they came to at the Iron Bowl. And, and uh, I just, you know, it's, it's an experience that you can't, you can sit here and talk about it, but until you've been there and you've experienced it, uh, there, there aren't really many words that you can use that, that will put that experience into play. And, uh, you know, I remember my first one. You know, my first year, you know, I'm sure I was like a kid in a, in a toy store. I mean, you just sat there big eyed, just watching and, and seeing those things. And then, of course, by the time we got to the second one, it was that's when I really got to look around and watch our recruits and our players. Um, just those big eyes and just really just taking it all in. And then, of course, when you win, you've got the post post stuff going on, which is which is pretty awesome. The, the march uh, down and throwing the toilet paper in the trees, and just uh, it's just like I said, it's it's not a one day thing. It's it's a week long event, and uh, to see all the campers lined up and, and, and all the stuff that's going on, and you know, TVs as big as a house. Uh, bands playing, dances happening. It's just, it's unreal. It's unreal to watch. It really is. And uh, yeah, any kid that we brought in and we were able to actually get them into that game because that's not an easy one to get into uh, for their visit. Uh, two, three, four years later, they're still talking about it. I mean, heck, we even have players that have graduated that still talk about coming to the Iron Bowl game when they visit. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And then, like I said, it carries over into the other sports. You know, you go to, 
you go to a home basketball game and it's 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 riled up. You know, we host Alabama here. Um, it, 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 it's a wild event. And, uh, it's loud. It's loud. It just it just means a little something extra. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. And and you know you hear people say that all the time, and uh, you say yeah yeah all right sure it is, but uh, when you experience it you're like okay it's different it's different. <laughs> uh, one thing we've been asking all the coaches is coming off of what happened this year in the Major League Baseball World Series and Tampa Bay really using analytics to get them into the spot that they were in, but then when they used it in Game Six it it came back to bite them and it ultimately cost them the series. Um, how much do you use analytics in your preparation and then in your actual uh, game management? Well, as a coaching staff, we use a lot of analytics. Uh, we try not to overwhelm our players with it. We try to, each player is a little bit different, I think. And so <clears throat> we have a lot of things at our fingertips that we can use. You know, glass. Uh, we just bought a pro batter system where it's got the video of our opposing pitcher in it. Those are different pitches, and it's like you're really hitting off her. Uh, we keep stats on everything. But, you know, for us, we can look at those things. We can analyze it. And then what we have to do is we have to figure out what information can we use that will benefit our team. Uh, and, and that's really where you have to – that's where the fine line is. Just as in a scouting report, how much information – is just the right amount of information to help that player, uh, to not give them not enough information where they can't make adjustments, but then give them too much information where they can't make adjustments because their head is just flooded with information. And, and so that's something that you normally work out uh, during fall ball and you normally work out in a preseason. Uh, and then you, you fine-tune it going into your season. Um, because I do think that you can give your players too much information. There are some players that don't want any information. Um, and so you have to work through that. Coach, last thing before we let you go, this is another one that we've asked all of the coaches so far, and I'm very curious to hear what your answer will be. If you woke up tomorrow and the results have been – tabulated and you were officially elected czar of college softball what is one change that you would implement about the sport it can be rules it can be scheduling it can be what committees look at for the ncaa tournament it could be anything involving the women's college world series what would what would your change be hmm that's an interesting question um I, I, I think what I would like to see is um, when you look at who qualifies for postseason, that you take a look at the weight of home games versus away games. Because I think home site does play in the part of of records, and so uh, I know baseball has done some things with that, as far as 
uh, waiting home versus away games. Now I'm not talking about tournaments, but I'm talking about home versus away. And I think that's why in our conference, you know, we have half on the road and half at home. Um, now, being in the South, we're going to play as many home games as we can because that's one of the reasons we like coaching in the South. It's warm. Everybody wants to play in warm weather. Uh, it may play as a disadvantage to us if you start waiting those things. Uh, but I do think it, uh, at some point, uh, baseball moved in that direction or was moving in that direction. Uh, I, I do think that uh, at some point we'll move in that direction. Coach, is, uh, is that surprised you or what? Well, it's interesting because that's kind of a new one that we've heard, but I think it does kind of tie into what I was about to ask you. Do you think this is the kind of season where we just need to throw out the RPI? Because with 2021, we really don't know what it's going to look like. We have to assume that at least some of the conferences are going to do conference only. A couple have already announced that. So is this the kind of year where it really is going to be based off the eye test? I don't know. And, you know, you talk about throwing out the RPI. I, I think before you throw anything out, I think everyone needs to fully understand it. Yeah. As much as I've tried to dwell into the RPI, I don't, I don't, I can't sit here and tell you that I, uh, I completely understand it. But uh, you know, for me, I, I want to see the best 64 teams or whatever number it is competing for a championship. Um, I don't know what that is going to look like in the end. Uh, but I think it makes for a much more interesting field is when you have the best 64 teams, whoever they are, wherever they come from, competing for national championship. Well, Coach, this is uh, this has been really great. It's always great to chat around the SEC, and it was a real honor and pleasure for both of us to get to talk with you about the upcoming season and what Auburn will look like in 2021. Thank you so much for joining us for Softball Media Days. Well, thank you, and uh, War Eagle. Well, uh, we'll see you at some point this year. I can guarantee that. Okay. Look forward to it. That's Mickey Dean. Tom, my favorite part about all this after we talk to the coaches is when we're still on Zoom, you know, we'll pretend like we're getting off and the coaches go and then we talk about what we just heard. Right. When we're on the phone, we'll hang up. We'll talk about what we just heard. After the Mickey Dean interview, I remember we both said, wow, he is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and all of you know why now. I mean, just what a cool guy. And again, another one of the longer interviews that we had just because he had so much to say about everything that we asked him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm sorry I accidentally called him Jimmy Dean one time. That did happen. <laughs> Not during this interview. Thank goodness it was on a previous show. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought he was another one where it's like even when, you know, he, he had had so much success at James Madison, it was kind of a surprise when he took the Auburn job. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that Auburn would want him, but that he wanted to come to Auburn. Right. Uh, but I, I think you could kind of tell that he was he wanted to kind of show 
what he could do at a at a power five school at, at, a, at a school where he could you know, which you know he got James Madison about as high as you could mm-hmm. uh, that he wanted to go somewhere where he had an opportunity to you know win at the highest possible level and Auburn had shown that they could do that uh, previously making it to the women's college world series championship series uh, which they did not win even after the catch but yeah I just no I love sure it you yeah. keep slipping it in all the time <laughs> I love it it's great right yeah. keep going right uh, but you know you could kind of tell. Uh, that he had the ability to do that, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to come in and just be fiery and and be you know s- you know screaming people down and uh, having a huge chip on his shoulder. I think he, he he's like a lot of the coaches we've talked to that he is he's there to try to you know help the team help the players be the best people and players that they can be. Right. Like in in a you know and if that means that we end up winning afterwards, great. But it's like it's one of those things where. It's about it's about the person more than the player. I agree, and I think also to piggyback on that, the winning comes when he builds. Sure, which to me kind of makes me feel a little ridiculous for at times insinuating that maybe he was on the hot seat last year because results wise, yeah, makes sense. But I think he wouldn't have even expected for the program to be where he thinks they're probably going to be in a couple years. Last season, I think he I think he has the team as strange as it sounds after you know, kind of a rough 2019 and getting swept their only conference series in 2020, I think he would say that the program is heading kind of where he hopes they can be and that he's building it at the right speed and doing it the right way. They kind of got out all the extra stuff. Right. They needed to kind of purge everything, and now there, they're there starting to— There was a house to, cleaning that needed to happen, yes, for sure. Yes. Now they're bringing in the recruits. They're bringing in some quality transfers. I think this is yeah. the real rise back up of Auburn eventually. I'm not sure how long it'll take, but I think Coach Dean doesn't really cares. He just knows that it'll happen eventually, and I think the administration trusts him because I, I trust him. I was going to say, if um, now Mickey Dean might feel that way, it's whether or not the administration feels right. that way. That, that really makes a difference. So we'll see how that goes moving forward. But uh, I think if you asked him, things are in the right in the right position. Yes. Um, and and what I was saying earlier, too, about – I mean the you know the person over the player. I think that's one of the reasons why he probably has a really good relationship now with Patrick Murphy because that's mm-hmm. the way he is. So I, I could see that, you know there was a lot of similarities I think between those those two. Uh, certainly a lot more than there were in the previous administrations. Yes, I I liked him a lot. Well, yeah. What a great episode two of interviews. That was fun. I really enjoyed talking with all three of them. I mean, new best friends all the way around. <laughs> all of you are invited as always. Just like every staff we have talked to and know. You're invited whenever you want to come on the show. Absolutely. Obviously. Let's wrap things up. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll give our final thoughts on day two and preview day three, which is coming up next Tuesday, and it's packed, and it's very, very intriguing. So Mm -hmm. we'll get to that in a minute as we step aside briefly here on the Out of the Box podcast, Softball Media Days, day two. Two down, two to go. How do you feel, Tom, after chatting with Larissa Anderson and Samantha Ricketts and the Dean, Mickey Dean? <laughs> I, I think we found maybe some of the diamonds in the rough in the conference here This, this in episode number two. Um, are, are, when you say that, do you mean teams or do you mean, what do you mean Well, both. That? Well, teams and uh, just individual coaches yeah. as well. Because these are not three of the ones that are like the most, you know, the ones that are put out there in the SEC whenever – there's a, a media tour going around of SEC coaches, uh, but maybe they should be. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they, I think all three are were really good interviews. It gave us a lot of stuff. 
Um, and I think all three teams can are going to be they're going to be a problem for somebody here in 2021. Oh boy, I you know what doing this has done for me, Tom. I'm so much more interested now, and I was always interested in what you know what's happening in Starkville when Auburn Mississippi State are playing. You know who right. who won the Georgia Missouri series? How's Kentucky doing with whatever enigmaness is happening over there? Right, and we'll get to Kentucky in a minute. Oh wow! But I'm going to be so much more just in tune with all these teams after talking to the coaches because I feel kind of invested a little right. bit in everybody. I was going to say, somehow we're going to be even more invested in the Cook's Pest Control scoreboard updates this year. I, I'm going to say Cook's <laughs> Pest Control scoreboard update, Auburn beats Missouri 2 nothing. So big win for Mickey Dean, but poor Larissa. Right. I, I feel like, bad for her. Right. Our good friends Mickey Dean and Larissa Anderson. Oh, my gosh. The Cook's Pest Control scoreboard updates are going to be insufferable <laughs> for some of the people just passing through. But right. the regulars, you're going to love it. Sure. I uh, certainly hope so. Yes. Um, but like I said, I think all, all three of these teams are going to be legitimately uh, very good this year. They all have some things to build off of. I think Missouri especially has a lot to build off from off of from last year. And Auburn, you know, just continuing to have that slow build like you talked about. Uh, so we'll we'll see what all happens, but uh, I'm 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 not going to be looking past any of these teams. All right, what about the teams we've got coming up? Day three, we've Ooh. got Rachel Lawson at Kentucky. Yes, the Enigma team in the mm. conference. Right. We talk about how confusing Kentucky can be sometimes with their head coach. Right. It's- who I think, like, legitimately, well, sometimes it's confusing <laughs> yeah. for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Who knows what's yeah. going on? So we've, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. We've got LSU, Beth Torina, mm-hmm. and we've got Texas A&M, Joe Evans. Two teams that are really interesting. I think A&M is in such a strange position because they've got, you could argue, a, a Mount Rushmore of assistant coaches in the conference working right now. Mm-hmm. And Craig Snyder, one of the best softball minds you've got in the conference. And then you look at an LSU team that, you could argue might have won the conference in 2020 because they had the best pitching staff statistically in the league, and yet the season was cut short. Right, and uh, it's these conversations are all really interesting, and I'm I'm frankly excited to to hear what what everyone thinks about it because uh, we we get to a lot with all these coaches. Yeah, and as we've talked about and we've talked about with both episodes is how open and and forthcoming a lot of these coaches have been three more of those coming up here in episode three and it's very interesting especially during this time when it's you know it's the off season you're trying to get get around so it's not only just necessarily talking about teams it's talking about the coaches individually their you know their their philosophies on on coaching and how to deal with what's going on in the world in 2020 and things like that so uh, you get a lot of really good stuff even outside of just the individual rosters coming up in 2021 although we got a lot of that good stuff too we did just wait until you hear about food folks Mm. that's coming up Mm -hmm. kind of a missed opportunity by us i I fault myself but we do bring tom's hungry into the fold in episode three yes as we should have done from the start honestly well again because now these are these coaches are all our our best friends right we can we can ask them at any i'll text larissa now and ask (laughs) about what whether, we need to know. How do you feel about Shakespeare's coach? Honest answer, and yeah. she would give it to us. Hopefully, yeah, I mean, how could you not like Shakespeare? So, right. I mean, come on. So, any final thoughts, Tom, from days one and two, but specifically day two, and then as we get ready for day three? Oh, well, something else that you know we we've alluded to it a few a couple times, but uh, I appreciate all the coaches talking with us and being as open, considering the fact that we're Alabama guys. Yeah, and, and it, it didn't didn't bother them at all. You know, they joked about it and they they kind of had fun with it with mm-hmm. us. 
and and it would have been very easy for Auburn to say no. And maybe listening to some of the podcasts, I can understand. Yes, but uh, <laughs> they they didn't. They kind of just just rolled with it. Like we said, they were they were very they were very cool about the whole situation. So I appreciate that and appreciate the SIDs and everybody helping us uh, getting this all together. Yeah, everybody's been really great. We've talked to a lot of coaches, uh, coaches for teams that uh, in the season. You know, you probably wouldn't want to say some of the things they've said to us, but yeah. that's kind of how, you know, we know how this works, right? Because mm-hmm. we deal with Coach Murphy and the Alabama coaching staff, and we are told things, we keep them to ourselves. We will sure. sometimes tell each other as we compile information, get ready for these interviews, or maybe talk afterwards. But, you know, if we're told things in confidence by coaches, we keep it to ourselves unless it's said on the air. And then right. obviously we play that. But point being, if Heather Tarr, who does follow me on Twitter now, wants to come on the show. Yeah. Please come on. I mean, you know, this has been really fun talking to all the SEC coaches. I wouldn't hate stepping up to kind of a more national look if we wanted to try and do that. We'll, we'll see. Maybe. Let's, let's get this one finished first. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> we only have one more season right. of the podcast left, maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's sign off, Tom. Where can the people find you on social media and whatnot? Uh, on the Twitter, go to T Canterbury RTR, and that's where uh, that is there. And uh, I talk, uh, I retweet all the, the out of the box stuff there. Um, I got another podcast that you can you can check. That's that out. true. Tell the people about it that's, briefly. Yeah, very quickly. That's on. It's on the iHeartRadio app, and it's called Getting Over. It is a uh, wrestling podcast. <laughs> I love the name. Yes, it's real good. Um, I also do you have an Instagram? I do not. Okay. Well, I do, but I don't do anything. Okay, right. that's yeah, fair. I feel so. like. Pe- the times are fading from the Instagram, right? Well, or if you am have I a, just if you have a Facebook, then you have an Instagram yeah. automatically. Uh, so that's why I have one. I don't do anything with it. I I, I feel as though uh, the the Instagram is somewhat like Facebook is starting to tend trend uh, older. Yeah, because you know you kids have other things that you're we doing you know we use the Snap and right the the TikTok. Ugh. Can't believe I just said that. Oh. I do have an Instagram. I don't check it very often, so I'm not going to give the handle on here. I really just use it to look at Sydney Little John stories. Right. But you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson, at Gray underscore Robertson, or follow at Out of the Box underscore Pot. So, Which yeah. you should be doing anyway. Right. Which you probably are if you're listening to this. I would hope so. We post this everywhere, but yeah. Twitter is the main form of communication. And certainly like and subscribe. And write a review. No, but yeah. be nice. Please don't roast us. If you want to do that, just send an email. Right, my well, email is very available. Like I said, don't roast any of the coaches. They were very nice to come on with us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so thank you to the coaches. Thank you to the SIDs. Tom, we've uh, we've knocked out half of softball media days. How about that? I don't know where the time has gone. <laughs> it's that's one thing totally separate from everything else. But as crappy as twenty twenty has been. It still seemed like it's gone by really fast. It really has. We started working on this like a month and a half ago. Like yeah. sending out, I sent out emails a week and a half before Halloween. Yeah. And here we are in December, currently December 4th as you're listening to this, or at least as we're recording this. And Christmas is right around the corner, right. partner. I know. <laughs> we trim the tree, folks. Be careful if you have more than 10 people. <laughs> So we're halfway through with these exciting episodes. We've got a great day three coming up. We will talk with the head coaches of Kentucky, Texas A&M, and LSU, and we'll cover everything with those folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Get ready. The special project is just getting better. We've teased it for months. I hope it has lived up to the billing. I think it mm. has. It is, is the good, good bull barbecue of softball media days. <laughs> of Montana Fouts. Of Hawaii. Of 
Hawaii. Yes. Perfectly put, Tom. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's what I do. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. Halfway through, two more episodes coming next week on December 8th and December 11th. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. Stay safe, folks.